I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, March 9th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, more from our conversation with former Mississippi Governor and U.S. Navy Secretary Ray Mavis. And Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney weighs in on this year's legislative session. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Today, we return to our conversation with Ray Mabus. Mabus is a former governor of Mississippi. He also served as U.S. ambassador to Saudi Arabia and as secretary of the Navy. On yesterday's show, he told us about an op-ed he recently published in The Hill, arguing that the key to weakening Russia's military capacity lies in renewable energy. The reason Putin has so much leverage over Europe is... They depend on him for oil and gas. And my argument is that the way to undermine Putin is to get the world off oil and gas, particularly Europe and the United States, uh, move to alternatives. Evidently, the White House also believes that oil is both Putin's trump card and his Achilles heel. In the time since we recorded our interview with Ray Mabus, President Biden announced a ban on all Russian energy imports to the U.S. Now, here's more of that conversation. Mabus speaks with Mississippi edition producer Rob Lane. I want to dig a little bit deeper into this idea of short-term and long-term, which comes up multiple times in your piece. The question I suppose I have for you is you note that oil is set globally and that small changes in supply and demand really only bear out in in terms of meaningfully affecting the price of oil in the very long term. If your argument is that the best way to diminish the power of Putin in Europe is to reduce Europe's dependence on Russian oil... Are there quicker and more uh, perhaps uh, surgical ways to achieve this in the short term, again, because we're in the midst of an active crisis? Uh, You know, I could see some people saying, well, it's great to talk about renewables, but in the short term, perhaps the ship has sailed on that. He's made his move. He's in Ukraine. Is it too late? Number one, no, it's it's not too late to to move very aggressively on it. Um, But number two. 
in the very short term, getting Europe, you know, un- until they make that uh, complete transition, you know, getting Europe liquefied natural gas from from the U.S. Um, or from from the Mideast is, um, you know, to to take Europe's um, dependence on Russian oil and gas away. Um, you know, I know that Germany is talking about keeping, I think they've got four nuclear plants left. They're talking about they were going to take them offline, keeping them online for, you know, a few more years until that depend you know until until the alternatives uh, arrive but you can move to alternatives i mean this is a well it's sort of a a self-defeating argument to say well we can't do this because it's too late it's you've got to do you've got to do some short, very short-term things now because he's in Ukraine. But to keep Putin or his successors, I mean, it may not be just Putin, from from doing this again. I, I mean, wh- one of the things I quoted in my article was Putin was so confident and cocky that he said, look, you know, Europe is completely dependent on us for for energy, even if they burn firewood, they're going to have to buy the firewood from us. So if you want to cut Putin off at the knees, move to alternatives. Now, again, the very short term, and I'm talking about, you know, while while he is pursuing this horrific war, but you can you can move to alternatives pretty, pretty fast. And if there's a one or two year transition period that's needed, but what we don't have is, you know, oh, we need 10 more years or we need to, you know, it really doesn't matter how much oil and gas the U.S. produces internally um, for in terms of, of our energy independence, because the price, as we've just seen, because the U.S. is producing, it's a net exporter now. Of oil and gas doesn't matter in terms of price, uh, and now we're talking to Venezuela about producing, you know, about getting us some oil and oil and gas. So, for just a myriad of reasons, we just got to get off. We just got to get off oil and gas. Uh, it may take. Yeah, we don't have the luxury of a lot of time. But we do need to do a short-term thing for Europe um, while we're waiting. Thinking about the short term, you are the former ambassador to Saudi Arabia, of course, the most oil-rich country on the face of the earth. What is Saudi Arabia's role in this? Well, one of the reasons I'm so for alternative energies, I saw the power of oil when I was ambassador to Saudi Arabia and how uh, not only is the supply control, but the prices as well. And Saudi could, I mean, you're right, they have the largest reserves, or one of the largest reserves out there. They, um, 
I think they and OPEC have kept production pretty flat. If they wanted to um, take a, a really active role, they could ramp up production uh, pretty quickly because it's uh, the the expansiveness is several million barrels a day that they could the extra the extra capacity. But uh, you know, while you may need to depend on them for this immediate crisis, one of the things that you really don't need to that America and Europe and the world really doesn't need to continue to be dependent on oil and gas from anywhere, uh, the, the Middle East in in particular. You mentioned just how important oil and gas is to the Russian economy. You mentioned how intrinsically connected it is to Russia's military might. If things go as you hope, if the West aggressively gets out of the oil and gas industry, starts relying really heavily on renewables, what does the Russian economy, what does the Russian military look like in, say, a decade or however, you know, whatever stands of time you think is appropriate to sort of come back and reevaluate? What does this actually do to Russia? Well, it takes, as I said, right now, more than 40 percent and maybe as much as half of the entire Russian governmental budget comes from oil and gas. So they have, they really have no place to replace that. It is a uh, that's the only resource they have in terms of, uh, of 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 how their economy works and how their military the the amount of money that their military has. So if you move aggressively, um, you give them really nothing to fall back on, and which I think would mean a a far less aggressive Russia and a far less, I mean, their, their military has shown that it's not that capable anyway, but uh, Russia has poured a lot of money into that. And the third thing, um, a lot of the money that they're getting from oil and gas is, is being stolen you know, by this kleptocracy, by the oligarchs and by Putin and his, and his buddies cutting that off may they bring Russia closer into the family of normal nations where, it, where we would hope it would be. That's former Mississippi Governor and former Navy Secretary Ray Mabus. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, we hear from the State Insurance Commissioner, Mike Cheney. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mike Cheney is the state insurance commissioner. Not a medical job per se, but it does place him in charge of the ways by which many Mississippians access 
the medical system. Cheney says issues related to health care are a key part of his office's work, especially since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. Recently, he tells us he's been keeping an eye on Senate Bill 2738, which, if signed into law, would mandate that insurance providers cover telehealth services for Mississippians. Yesterday, an amended version of the bill passed the State House with support not only from a majority of lawmakers, but from leaders like Dr. Whalen of the Mississippi State Medical Association. Mississippians like it, the physicians like it. It's really a way to reach people sometimes when you have no other way to reach them. It's been a, a game changer in mental health because it's, it's sometimes been very hard to have enough mental health people in the right areas to do that kind of work. And now you can do it through a telehealth. For more on what that bill could do, here's Commissioner Cheney. He speaks with MPB's Michael Guidry. This telemedicine bill would allow people that live in remote areas of the state or even if you're elderly to use telemedicine in lieu of going to the doctor's office for a doctor's visit. And the bill essentially just allows parity in CNP and provider networks. In other words, you can get to see a doctor just as well as you can uh, in this office by using telemedicine and video and audio. And the reason for that was because after COVID-19 came about, we issued a bulletin on telemedicine in March 2020 under the auspices of the governor's emergency order dealing with COVID to allow use of telemedicine for people to see the doctor or talk to the doctor. It's not a new new deal. We've had telemedicine around for a long time. But let me give you a quick uh, increase. Just in the commercial and behavioral in Mississippi alone, we saw a 2,400% increase in 2020. And in 2021, uh, that increase was 2,213% above the 2019 level. So you can understand the number of visits and, and especially those visits that involve behavioral visits, and that's mental health parity, basically. What types of of services, medical services or health health coverage services, uh, would be applicable here? This would apply to any medical service except surgery or something of that nature. You can't obviously you can't commit or do surgery by uh, telephone or video, but although you can do remote surgery, that, that's kind of out of the line. We're talking about things about. Uh, a mother calling in at 6.30 in the morning and said, my child has a has a horrible stomach ache, and the doctor may say, okay, what side of the stomach is it on, left or right? And you, it, they'll look at trying to rule out appendicitis or something of that nature and then say, you need to go to the emergency room or the hospital or whatever. And usually those calls are from someone like a school teacher uh, who has to be at work by 7.30 in the morning. She's got small children or he's got small children. And um, they need medical assistance right then in the morning at 630. And, not, and the doctor's offices normally don't open at 8 o'clock. So I hope that's kind of clear to you. And then you've got the issue of mental health parity where you have people that need counseling. And uh, telemedicine is a good provider of counseling methods. And just in Mississippi alone, uh, there were about 500,000 patients with serious mental health issues. And 25% of those issues were triggered during the pandemic. So these are stats that we've had to really do a lot of digging out to get to. So 125,000 of those patients had the potential to receive life-saving telemedicine treatment. Well, what, what role does your office play in 
um, in making sure that insurance providers in the state of Mississippi are covering these expenses for people with insurance in, in the state? Well, the, the purpose of the bulletin is to be certain that if someone has insurance that it could be utilized. We don't tell them how much you have to pay for the telemedicine, but we do say that you have to provide it at the same level you would if they were in a network. In other words, if they went to a doctor's visit. And what you didn't want to happen would to have, have an health insurance carrier develop their own telemedicine network to say, you use us and nobody else. In other words, you may have a ABC carrier out here saying you can't use the University of Mississippi's telemedicine center. And uh, the public may not know, but we utilize the University of Mississippi's telemedicine center quite often with the state and school teacher health plan. So it's a very beneficial tool to deliver medicine, especially in areas like the Delta, where we have a, a like of physicians and nurse practitioners to see patients. We talk a lot about access to health care in Mississippi. Uh, to what level does this, it doesn't, I know it does not equalize access to health care, but uh, to what level does providing uh, and mandating parity in telemedicine coverage, um, how much does that do to at least close that gap? It does a great deal. Just from the numbers that we see on the mental health side, we've closed the gap uh, significantly. And if we see that we had um, 20,000 uh, behavioral and mental visits in 2020 versus only 800,000, uh, well, I say 20,000, 20 million actually nationwide, that shows us that the growth is pretty significant and that the providers are being paid at the at the same rate they would be paid if they were in a network. And then I will shift real quick. There is also um, uh, another, you know, it does have some overlap with your office, and that is the, um, but that's the postpartum uh, Medicaid expansion bill. Is there, do you have any thoughts on that and what it might do to, again, provide extended coverage for, for mothers and babies up to 12 months after pregnancy? Well, you know, I don't deal with Medicaid. Um, people are always saying, why did you do this with Medicaid? But I, I'm the insurance commissioner. Right. I, we keep up with Medicaid uh, quite regularly, and the reason is that we have to we have to deal with the insurance companies that work with Medicaid on, on what they call um, the CAN program or managed care program in the state. But that's that's an issue run by the governor of the state of Mississippi. Now, the postpartum for all mothers that have children, I think that's pretty dead gum important for the state because we, we already do that to some level at the state health plan, and we need to extend it to the Medicaid side. And generally speaking, the people that are on Medicaid are usually very young folks that are in the childbearing age, and they need to be healthy. And, and look, it's just real simple. You've got a healthy population. You've got a healthy workforce. If you've got a healthy workforce, uh, your economy is good. So most people are just looking for good law enforcement or safe place to live, and they want a decent job, and they want decent health care. Based on what you've seen in years past, uh, can you estimate how many, how many people would be impacted uh, if, that, if that coverage were to be expanded? Well, it, it depends on who you want to talk to. If you talk to the Kaiser Family Foundation, that'd probably say 250,000. You talk to another group, they would say, oh, no, no more than 100,000 people would be added. But when you look at the real numbers of who's uninsured within the state of Mississippi, those numbers approach a, a pretty significant number. Uh, and, and you've got a discount at this point 
uh, what we call short duration policies or limited benefit policies, which are not allowed for full insurance. In other words, you can buy limited benefit policies that we're just going to pay you X number of dollars if you get sick, and that's all you're going to get. So it doesn't cover you if you go in the hospital. So when you look at all of those numbers, it's well over 500,000, closer to 750,000 people uh, at any given time or without insurance. Out of those, the people that would be eligible for uh, Medicaid would probably be close to 250,000. That's a, that's a pretty good number. And you can check with the Department of Medicaid. Sometimes they don't agree with the numbers we look at, but we have different sources from what they have. And, and we also rely upon a lot of the data that we get from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services out of Washington, D.C. They are sub-agency of the Department of Human and Health Services, HHS. So we deal with them quite frequently, almost on a daily basis. And it sounds strange. You know, the health, in, uh, health insurance is being administered by some somebody like the, the Commissioner of Insurance. And we're, we're getting into health care, but uh, that's kind of the way it works. Mike Cheney is Mississippi's insurance commissioner. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. See you tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Take care. 